Welcome to the Age of Audio. My name's Graham Brown from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. The Age of Audio is a series of conversations with thought leaders and changemakers in the world of audio. That's podcasts, radio, and social audio, converging with big data to create engaging and authentic content for a new generation of listeners. Well, let's just jump straight in. Let's talk about audio, sport. Yeah. Let's put them all together. Like, let's do that. Like, what is the, the unique connection between audio and sport? With sports, there's a lot of opinions. People are very opinionated and passionate about sports. And audio just seems a very natural, authentic format for people to give off their opinions. And, you know, there's, there's no rules. It's not like you have oh. to stick to 20 minutes. You have to stick to an hour. You just talk naturally. Yes, you have a, well, not a script, but you have talk track, but just let people talk and, you know, can go off in multiple different tangents and can go on for an hour and a half. There's no rules really, but it allows people's true opinions to come through. And I think that's been a huge value of, of audio from a sport perspective. And when we think about talk radio as an example, wherever you are in the world, if you're in some taxi somewhere in some town, you, and especially if it's in the evening, you know it's going to be a phone in, isn't it? And it's going to be a phone in like somebody going on about yeah. bitching about the manager. Yeah, and that's like, yeah, that's absolutely, global, isn't it? It's like, yeah. what is that appeal? Why, why do people love that so much? And it seems to be, I guess it's cheap programming as well. But the fact that it's so popular everywhere means yeah. it's obviously not low value. Yeah, but but then now, rather than having, you know, the traditional phone in, you know, that still obviously exists, but rather than having Dave from the pub calling up to voice his strong opinion, you're actually having, you know, well-respected ex-players or even current players, mm. um, largely ex-players. You know, you look at the rugby space, there's probably about 15 different podcasts. They're all largely the same. They're all got a couple of ex-players as hosts, but they're all being very opinionated. Now, as the listener, you know, not only could you listen to some random person's opinion that you never heard of before, but actually you can hear the opinion of these ex-players who you've, you've grown up watching on TV. So yeah, that, that, that's been a huge value that, it, you know, like you said, it's so, it's so easy to create that there's a lot more opinions and more valued opinions out there. Mm. So it seems like we've moved from a situation where you had in the old world of, let's say, radio and sport, that you would have Dave at the pub, taxi driver, and effectively the editors, you know, they would have their celebrity yeah. guests, who, you know, who would have been doing the circuits. They would be like, you know, the regulars, mm. but there wouldn't be anything in between. Now there's this big mid market, which is people who really care, you know, like you say, the ex pros and people who are involved in the game, but didn't have a platform to voice themselves maybe. Yeah. And it seems like that seems to be an interesting market that was untapped before. Yeah, definitely. But I think the challenge now is that all this really interesting and amazing content exists, but the people that would love to hear it either don't know that it exists or mm. aren't quite sure how to get it. Or perhaps something that I think about a lot is that it's all too long form at the moment. I think what audio is missing is a YouTube equivalent. It doesn't have to be the exact same as YouTube. But for example, you know, pretty much the world's TV content or, or largely the, the best bits of the TV content is chopped up into small little mm. highlights and put on YouTube as a mass library to be able to search for pretty much anything you want to get mm. hold of. 
Now, in audio, that doesn't really exist. The good quality content, the five-minute funny story from a 40-minute episode lives as a five-minute story within that 40-minute episode. Or the podcasters are creating things like, you know, audiograms or even yeah. videos, and but putting it on YouTube or on Instagram. So they kind of exist in that. But I think audio needs something that's a lot more short-form, teasers, mm. highlights, snackable that that sort of allows people to go down a rabbit hole and listen to mm. 15 different clips in an hour without realizing it. You know, you're thinking, I'm not going to listen to a podcast for an hour, but before you know it, shit, you're 40 minutes down and you've just gone from clip to clip to clip to clip, multiple different podcasts and listen to sort of fairly contextually similar kind of content. But I think that's one thing that the audio world has really struggled mm. in that mm. YouTube and TV go hand in hand, but audio just all lives in this long form library that no one knows exists. It's discovery, isn't it? That is the massive yeah. problem. Yeah. The, the way I tend to look at it is that you look at, for example, podcasts and social audio in the same way that we look at music and radio. So radio existed to solve the discovery problem of music, the property, mm. right? So if you had for example, a new artist that you're pushing, the fact that you knew the guy at the radio and could get airplay was significant for the success of that property, right? And in the same way we have this problem now is that you have a podcast, your problem is how do I get airplay for it? And the equivalence yeah. of airplay is people, like you mentioned, people are doing the audiograms things, but th these are marginal in terms yeah. of what really makes the big hit. The big stuff lies in building this airplay community around your podcast. And I see people doing interesting things. Obviously, Clubhouse is one. Um, LinkedIn Live is another. Reddit is another one. Uh, Facebook have obviously played their hand at the audio space as well. People doing Telegram groups. Um, we have, you know, like the Patreon subscribers as well for communities. All kinds of things going at the moment in the sports space as well. What do you think is kind of working? People building communities around podcasts or are we not even there yet? Has it not really started? Um, well, you know, you, you've got things like locker room, which is the sort of the sports focus, the, the, almost the sports equivalent of Clubhouse, which Spotify have just acquired. But but that was very small, you know. So whether or not there's value in that, but even places like Clubhouse, there's a lot of sports-based rooms in there. I, I just think go back to your analogy earlier about the what radio did for music and mm. helping with discovery. Yes, obviously that is a massive thing, but also radio does wonders for the back catalogue of the music world. You know, the mu music is kind of timeless, hmm. whereas uh, in the podcast space and and other forms of spoken word audio, it's all very now and forgotten about. It's all very you consume it now and it's forgotten about. But hmm. actually, there's a load of really funny stories or interesting things that live in the back catalogue of many, many places, but this just doesn't have anywhere to be surfaced. This all just lives in the back catalogue, ne never to be seen again, unless someone specifically mm. searches for it. So I think that's, again, that's the, the, so the difference between what radio does for music and you know, YouTube does for TV, but audio or podcast doesn't really have that uh, as, mm. a, as a space. You know, with Clubhouse and all these things, yeah, it's all about the now and it's good for discovery for now. Mm. But all this rich content that's existed for the last five years is just redundant as Amazing. of next week, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. So that that's definitely something that I think someone somewhere needs to solve for. I think it'll be Spotify. Yeah, probably. 
Yeah, if you yeah. look at the way they're going, especially, you know, they're, they are edging towards an advertising play long term. They tie up with Facebook, looks like that that's the, the horse they're backing. Obviously, the, the, the content monetization part, which was the, um, you know, the micropayments, really, mm. I think they were hedging their bets against Apple there. Because yeah. Apple, have, you know, Apple have got iTunes. They they've done micropayments for like nearly fifteen years. They know that very yeah. well. Spotify going down the advertising route to me then suggests that they then have to become Google of that space. They have to really solve the problem that you talked about. Like Google's problem is how do I serve up content for you and make you believe that my results are the best? Yeah, you know, that page quality stuff. So therefore, Spotify needs to then serve up relevant content and dig into the back catalog. And yeah. how do you how do you do that beyond the crappy descriptions that people provide on the podcast? You've got to start listening to these things, right? Yeah, it, it, it's tough to do it manually. I'm sure there's some kind of tech and AI that exists, or so someone can think up something that can work this out. I mean, Spotify. I've started doing it manually for Joe Rogan. You know, the big big part of when they brought Joe Rogan onto the platform was creating these sort of you know chopping up the back catalog into five to ten minute clips mm. and putting them all together in playlists of similar different contexts so you know that that's definitely the future i actually thought they'd be doing a lot more of that obviously i don't mm. work there anymore but i was expecting a lot more of that but maybe that's it maybe it's just that it's such a manual job right now that it's just they don't have the oh. manpower to do that i think they're beginning to do it there's a youtuber in the uk called jack mate who's got a podcast called happy hour who they brought on from youtube has been a, a big success and again you know a lot of my discovery for that has been short form. You know, I see these mm. little clips and I'm interested and then lo and behold, I listen to a full episode. Mm. Um, so I know they're doing it, but it's all very manual and they don't have the manpower. Mm. So yeah, that's uh, I'm sure that, that that's something, you know, their goal is to be the Google of audio. So, yeah, definitely. Um, well, you, sure you talk about the, the Joe Rogan discovery process as well. I mean, if you've got like YouTube's got that down, there's fans who make Joe Rogan clips there's, there's yeah. a number of channels, isn't there? Like there's the Joe Rogan channel. And then there's like the fan derivatives, if you like. Yeah. Some of it's parody yeah. and some of it is just like, you know, three mm. minutes when Joe Rogan says this. And yeah. that, that's kind of how you discover it. I think you discover it first because it keeps coming up in your feed. And then you think, what is this that keeps coming up? Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't exist, does it, in the podcast space, does it? No, well, that's it. That That's exactly what I'm talking about is some kind of way that if you're listening to something even if it's an autoplay afterwards, a three-minute yeah. clip of something that's vaguely relevant to what you're talking about. Like, let's just say I'm listening to the Peter Crouch show and there's a funny story about Wayne mm. Rooney. And then automatically, I guess, served a, another funny story related to Wayne Rooney from Football Rumble, for example. Mm. Or the Jamie Carragher episode where he interviewed Wayne Rooney. Oh, I'm just talking, you know, making stuff up here. But it, it's, it's that you get stuck down a rabbit hole. You listen to that Joe Rogan clip, then you listen to another one because it's so obvious and in your face. To make that work on an automated level is going to be tough. You need the community to do it, really. I think that's the key, isn't yeah. it? Right? You need them to clip this stuff. In a way, I think, you know, if you look at Spotify as an analogy, that they've done that, they try to do that with the playlists, and, you know, it's a way, it's contextualizing, isn't it? How do I, yeah. you know, solving that problem? How do I discover this stuff? And then you have your, you know, your playlist of your, your lounge music for Tuesday afternoon, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they would give you that based on other people's discovery. 
and, and collation of that. I think there were some official players as well, and you can have the sponsored yeah. ones and so on. But 95% of it is community, like Wikipedia, right? And you kind yeah. of need, like, you need that tool in, in audio such that, okay, that clip of Jamie Carragher and Wayne Rooney, that funny anecdote clip, got it. Because there was no way you could do that with machine learning at any kind of no. meaningful level. No, so no, matter how good the tran- no, no, how, no matter how good the transcript is and AI, it's going to be very difficult, isn't it? Yeah. So I just wonder, like, you know, here's the thing as well. When I think about the main platforms, you know, a lot of, you know, if you compare YouTube to Spotify and Apple, Amazon even, Audible, that YouTube has comments. And, the, you know, if you yeah. look at the comments, it's like, you know, the, often the first thing I look at when I look at a video, I look at the comments. Yeah, I'm just curious why, why in audio we haven't gone down that route. Why is there no sort of social interaction around audio on these platforms? Yeah, that baffles me from a Spotify perspective why we didn't have that. Um, you know, on Apple, at least you have the reviews, which, mm-hmm. you know, isn't necessarily the same as comments. You don't have the interaction the same as comments, but at least you do get some form of feedback um, through the reviews. And, and, and I now know as a podcaster, you know, the reviews are crucial, both as someone who wants to listen to a show, I, l- I look at the, at the reviews, but also as someone who's created the shows, you know, it's, it's very important. And mm. that, that was a massive gap I always felt at Spotify that we didn't have. Mm. Yeah. There you go. Somebody out there is probably trying to solve it now. <laughs> Hopefully. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. Well, who, who in this space really inspires you, who sort of checks all these boxes, whether it's like, you know, content or the way they're promoting it or kind of, you know, just the storytelling aspects of podcasts? Um, I think, uh, you know, I'm really getting into the high-end investigative journalism style podcast. And I know that the the US have really dominated that space from a true crime perspective over the years. And I think the world is beginning to catch up now. And uh, I think the BBC do a great job uh, here in the UK of creating things like that and helping with the discovery. and you know we're beginning to see other companies following suit and and you know creating those premium investigative journalism style content mm. um, and marketing it. Um, you know the the, the difficulty is uh, specifically in this market is that if you have a big name, then it's quite easy to leverage that that name to to promote it. But if you don't have a big name, it's really hard. And, and, and that's kind of the key challenge for, for many people is unless you have a very well-known name that have a big social media following, then it's tough because you can do the same thing as there are, you know, creating the headliners and audiograms and all, all, mm. all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, if you don't have an outlet to promote that, then it's very difficult to get people to notice it. What about in sport? You mentioned Peter Crouch, for example. That's a good example of a big name and a podcast. Is it possible... To- as an amateur to compete with these guys? Are people actually doing it? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's been a few successes where people have broken through and, um, you know, almost built themselves up as a well-respected voice in that space. Um, I think as the world has, or as the space has become a lot more cluttered, it's going to be a lot harder for independent creators to, to compete. Unfortunately, as much as I, you know, would love it to be different. I think these days for, for an independent to create a sports podcast and compete at the top Mm. will be very, very difficult. I think. Is that where sports networks come in or podcast networks generally come in? Do you see these as playing more of a key role? Because these are a thing now, aren't they? 
that you've yeah. got clubbing together of resources effectively. They're almost like record labels or, you know, like radio stations in the old days, right? They, yeah. Where do no, you think they come in with all of this? I think, uh, look, obviously there's been a lot of consolidation in the podcast marketplace as a whole over the last couple of years. And I think that will continue over the next couple of years as well. And generally, I think it's a good thing. I think the more of the, the network approach with your headline big stars at the top, that can mm. actually help to promote the smaller independent creators within that is only a good thing. It's a good thing for brands. It's a good thing for independent creators. And also it's a good thing for listeners as well, because... Mm. You know, you, you, yeah, if you're listening to a podcast and that belongs to a network that within that podcast, you can get cross promoted for other similar podcasts that you would have never have found otherwise. And you think, oh, that sounds quite interesting. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in the network approach. And I think obviously there will be more consolidation to come. I don't know in which shape or form, but I think that can only be a good thing over the mm. next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, if we go way back, was it the Bleacher Report? was one of the, the, the first in the US, right? The sports network yeah, that got bought up. I don't even remember. I, I check my sources when I do all this. I actually do it in post-production. Mm. It was that, it was, it was not, um, I can't remember anyway, but you know, that was like one of the first major sports networks that got bought up, right? And yeah, and then the you ringer, got the, you, the ringer. The, that was it. The, yeah, then obviously the ringer. Um, Spotify bought the ringer. Then yeah. you've got companies like Barstool Sports, which yeah. are a big sports podcast network out there. So th there's a few. I, I guess in the UK, you had companies like Muddy Knees Media, who do the uh, Totally Football Show with James Richardson, which is one of the most popular ones. They got bought out by the Athletic. Uh, so whether it's you know companies like the Athletic are trying to to create things like that, but yeah, I'm I'm sure you you will get a lot of these companies. I mean, the challenge for many people in the UK is that the BBC is so dominant. Yeah, yeah, especially in sports. Yeah, like you're competing with very high quality production and stars, yeah. right? Celebrities. Yeah, yeah, not very difficult to compete with. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of people have come out of the BBC as well now into podcasts. So. Yeah, so there's been a big shedding in the last two or three years alone, right? So yeah, absolutely. You get companies like the Crowd Network who've just started up. I don't know if you're familiar with those guys, mm. but a few ex BBCers um, who are doing some good things. So you know, e even for them with their expertise and resource, you know, I'm sure they'll be finding it tough out there because mm. it's tough to be launching podcasts these days, especially if you're chasing a big hit. Mm. Um, but yeah, the more the more companies like not necessarily the more companies like that, but the more weight that companies like that can get by by accumulating lots of other smaller podcasters, yeah. the better. I think. Yeah, we're going down that consolidation route, aren't we? Which is you see it in all media publishing, whether yeah. it's in music, classic case, or what's happened, games as well. You know, uh, video games starting out from cottage mm -hmm. industry, then that sort of consolidation until you had that the big giants like EA run everything yeah and we're seeing it now in podcasting and what it means is for the indie publishers is that less and less it means that they'll get less crumbs from the top table because these guys these networks will learn the rules of the game and they consolidate their resources pull these resources yeah. and use them to stay at the top and to win more traffic right and that means everybody else at the bottom it's like the old days when people started getting into seo and started understanding that you have to game this algorithm to stay at the top. And so yeah. they would pull their resources. And now you can't get into the page one no. search results for anything useful as a keyword, right? 
No. You know? So that's, I think, where we're going with this. It's going to be interesting. Like this, I think, you know, the way we're going is this purchase of networks. Yeah. That's the model that's going to emerge. And it, it's just easy for people like Spotify and Apple to buy these people. Screw this, I'll buy these, just buy, you know, 10 million listeners. You know, yeah. This niche, that's where we're going. Yeah, you know, I still think there's there's obviously space for the independents, but when you look at the podcast space, there's so many independents that they all mm. can't live successfully. So I think consolidation whereby a lot of these independent creators can be a part of a larger network and actually help both sides of the party. Yeah, man. Okay, very good. Is just sort of rounding off then, Dylan, is there anything I don't know if you're a contrarian at all. But if you are, is there anything that you see in the industry that other people don't see or things you think about the industry that people disagree with you on? The two biggest things for me right now are on the discoverability side, and I think we've pretty much covered that off. Yeah. But also with the monetization side, I think you know the, the revenue for podcasts is going up, which is good, obviously, and the number of listeners is going up. But unfortunately, the number of podcasts are being created has also increased disproportionately yeah. higher so you know the, the the gap has widened even though all the metrics are going up which is good i just think the from a an ads perspective in the podcast space we need to get away from the host read being so influential hmm. i'm a big believer in the value of the host read by the way i'm not i'm not downplaying the value of the host read but i think all the other factors that come with podcast advertising need to need to have a higher value attached to them just the engagement levels the attention levels the contextual relevancy of, of the 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 advertising you can get um and at the moment you know there, there's there's two forms of advertising there's the host read and there's an ad spot and there's a massive gap between the value of them and also how tolerant the users are to, to both of them because generally i think most users like the host reads and mm. they hate the ad spots but I definitely think there's a middle ground. And I, and I just saw, I was interested uh, that yesterday, Spotify just announced their a research study that they've been running for a long time, whereby they're creating this middle ground of different companies call it different things, whether it's announcer reads or producer reads or you know third-party voice actor reads. But oh. essentially, it's delivered in the style of a host read, but it's not the actual host that's delivering the message. So it's right. not a ad spot with jingles and music and crazy loud radio stuff but it's not the host delivering the message it's an independent third-party professional voiceover delivering a host read style message but that is a lot more scalable because hmm. you don't have to rely on the host of each podcast to do that and it's scripted so there's no longer the back and forth between host and brand oh they didn't say this word correct can you re-record oh. and um, it's just a lot more scalable, but also a lot more effective than the ad spots. So Very I think that that's an area where I, I hope we'll see a lot of growth and I want a lot of brands to move away from the, the thinking of this being like an influencer marketing channel, whereby they're saying, well, we want the host to be endorsing our product. Well, yeah, that is good. And there is a space for that, but that's not the be all and end all of the podcast industry. Still being able to communicate a message to, an, to a user that has chosen to listen, is highly engaged, is paying attention, um, and if that message is con contextually relevant to the content, there's a lot of value in that, irrespective of if, it, of if it's the host reading it or mm. an independent third-party voiceover. So that that's something that I'm big on at the moment and really want to push more of. Give it a name. What's it called, that area, that mid-ground? It's tough. I mean, 
I, I lose track on what Spotify call it these days because it changed names about five times when I was there. I think they're calling it scripted voice talent. I don't, I, I don't think that's snappy enough. SVT. <laughs> um, yeah, people call it announcer reads. Some people call it producer reads. But yeah, I think that that's an error. And, and the other thing with advertising as well is that because it's a digital medium mm. and and more addressable data exists than does in TV and radio people are applying the traditional digital metrics to it and treating it like the traditional digital medium and and then essentially using it like a performance medium where yeah. it's not a performance medium at all. So um, there's, a, there's a disparity there. Just because the data is available, it doesn't mean that uh, you have uh, to use every single bit of it. You know, uh, Just because we don't know if someone's clicked on something or bought something, it doesn't mean that the ad wasn't effective. Whereas in radio and TV and outdoor, you don't have the the ability to to understand if people clicked on or did something anyway. They don't get deemed to be ineffective. So, I, I think that's an area where, well, digital audio as a whole, but especially podcasts, need to find its narrative to to prove its value to brands. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. It's going to be in the area of the engagement that it wins hands down, isn't it? It's going to be the more these guys can start pushing the narrative about, okay you know, 40% of listeners listen to 34 plus minutes of the podcast, whatever it is, 75%, those kind of metrics. That's when we start winning that debate that it's not about seeing it through the lens of the mediums that came before, right? And therefore, a derivative or a secondary version of that, right? That's, you know, like you've got that sort of mindshare aspect of it, which I think is really untapped. Yeah, ma- massively. Attention's a big buzzword in the industry at the moment, the digital industry, and I think oh. podcasts win that hands down. And if you look at sort of branded podcasts and branded content in general, you know it's the opposite of most other forms of digital media, whereby yeah. as a brand, you're basically following this user around. You're serving. You're you're bombarding them with ads, following them around everywhere, wherever they are, hoping that they do something. Yeah. Whereas with a branded podcast, that user has opted in that he's actually that person chosen to listen to your content. It's the opposite of all other forms of of digital media. Mm. You haven't chased them. They're chosen to listen to this thing. Mm. I mean, there's huge value in that. Yeah. It is quantifying it, isn't it? Well, that's the, that's the difficulty. Yeah. 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 But at the higher levels, it needs less quantification. It needs, they get the idea, isn't it? But when you're sort of at the, the marketing manager level, the buyer level, they still need the numbers because, you know, they need yeah. to, they can't take the risks that their bosses can take. Right. So I think that's kind of where we yeah, are. That's true. Yeah. Very interesting. I love the attention part as well. I think that's kind of where it's going. This is the attention, you know, the, that's the most valuable commodity today. Attention, right. You know, that's what wars are fought over essentially the attention yeah. of people. Right. And even like with, uh, on the attention front, you know, the fact that you got your headphones on the, what you're listening to. So technically, if you've chosen to listen to a podcast, you're probably going to be listening to it. Not yeah. just it's the radio's on in the background. Yeah, you're probably yeah. intently listening. But also, it's almost like a direct path into your brain. So even if you want to switch off, and even if if the mid-roll comes on and there's an ad message and you don't want to listen to it, can you be bothered to take your phone out of your pocket to yeah. skip yeah. or mute or whatever? Can you switch off and do something else? Yeah, but actually, it's a direct path into your brain. It's very hard to not pay attention, mm. even if mm. you really don't want to. It's hard. 
So that is a massive sort of narrative that the digital audio industry needs to... I, I was working on a big piece of this when I was at Spotify, mm-hmm. so I'm passionate about this piece. But I think as an industry as a whole, that needs to be a much of a stronger narrative, I think. Yeah, and it's definitely something I'm interested in. I spent my yeah. career working with telecoms companies and helping them understand attention of young people. Okay. But how do you get their attention? And it was all about mm-hmm. earning at the time. This is when people started understanding earned media. So the, the, the narrative at the time is it's like you have to earn attention, not buy it, which is how mm-hmm. they've done it for like, oh, just do a TV campaign. But now it's about how do you build community for young people and how do you engage them and win their attention that way. So, you know, even right going down to the neuropsychology of attention and studying how yeah. that worked as well. So I, I think we're in a really interesting space. You think yeah, about- the, the, yeah. I can say that there's a company called Dentsu, which, um, oh. yeah, they, they've done a big study called the attention economy. Yeah. And I'm not sure what stage they're at or what results have come out, but some of the work that they've done has been really interesting when you, you compare a video ad on Instagram and people yeah. are scrolling through versus a TV ad versus an audio ad versus other forms of media. And, and I think the findings are quite interesting on that. It's cool, man. Good. We're in the right yeah. place then. Yeah, absolutely. You've been listening to The Age of Audio with me, Graham Brown, from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. To get access to all the audio conversations and book content for The Age of Audio, go to www.theageofaudio.com. One more time, theageofaudio.com.